Hawks Live. Every Thursday night at 7, live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka. Come on, guys. Let me take over. And Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, you're listening to Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer here in... Tonight we're going to talk to the professor, John Clayton. We'll get an opponent preview from our old buddy Sam Farmer, one of my favorite guys uh, from the L.A. Times. We'll talk to Danny O'Neill, but mostly we're going to talk to Mike Davis. Oh, Mike Davis, wait. three touchdown Mike Davis at 8 o'clock. He'll be here for the, the player interview. And uh, unfortunately, Paul, we're, uh, we're going to have to go back and, and take a look at a loss. And, you know, Losing to the San Diego Chargers, really disappointing. That's as disappointed as I've been in a long time. Not because of the way the Seahawks played as much as I really thought that, you know, they were going to be able to get a win there against a really good team. That's the thing I took away. San Diego's a really good team and not much of a fan base down there. Yeah. And same thing with the, the team that they're about to play down in LA. But, uh, let's go, go ahead and go back through that game. I guess, my, my biggest takeaway, Paul, I thought there was a bit of an overreaction to Russell's play. And, and what I'll start with is he had a perfect passer rating the week before against Detroit, and he had three incompletions. So one of them was caught by Doug Baldwin, but he was out of bounds. One of them, Luke, or I'm sorry, not, I almost said Luke Wilson, who they played against, but Nick Vanette stepped out of the back of the end zone, and he did catch that ball, and the other one was a throwaway. Well, there was three bad plays, I thought. The pick six against Sandy, uh, L.A. Chargers, and then also, you know, he missed a slant play that was thrown to Tyler Lockett, Jerron Brown, he underthrew. So, I mean, it wasn't that bad. There was, it's just like Chuck Knox, our old coach, used to say all the time. There's three, four, five plays that dictate the outcome of a game, and at the end, they actually had a chance to win that game, losing 25-17. Yeah, against a, a good team, and I think the frustration part is we we go down and, and we take a seven nothing lead on them, and uh, that it, looked like it was going to be easy at that it, point, well, didn't it? Well, and you know, we you and I talk about this. Whenever you score that easy, and it was easy, it was an easy drive. Everything worked on that drive. When it's that easy, it makes me nervous because teams are going to make a few adjustments. It's not going to be that easy anymore. And so if you aren't mentally ready to, to battle that, we've seen, I've seen it you know, for the last 30 years. It, it often goes south for an offensive team. You go and look at the first drive for the Chargers, they, their first three plays really well schemed. I mean, it was, there's nothing the Seahawks could have done. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they had to battle to score. You know, they had to make some plays. It was not easy for them. And I remember at halftime telling the Dory, I go, I feel like the advantage is to the Chargers because they're just finding ways to make plays right now. And you're right, Dave. It really did come down to five plays. It came down to uh, the one on the third and 15. We got them backed up third and 15. They run a double move on Griffin. They, they get the huge 50-some-yard play on that, and they end up going down and, and scoring. That, that was a crusher. The interception TD, I mean, that's a huge one. There's two big plays, and then for us not to score at the very end, that's just three. I haven't even talked about the other two. We didn't get any of those and still have a chance to win. So it's frustrating because you didn't have to play great in this game versus a very good 6-2 and two now Charger team 
to win. And I and, and you could feel the frustration, and you could hear it from Pete Carroll on Monday and, and throughout this week. I'm really curious how we bounce back because we're about to play one if, if not the best team in the NFL. I'm curious because the Rams are ready for the Seahawks. There's a revenge factor for them because of the way we dominated them on the offensive line against their defense, the way we talked about it afterwards. And I've been watching some national interviews with their players. They're fired up, the Rams are, to play this game and get a little bit of revenge from the defensive side. Yeah, and I, I think who you're talking about, DJ Fluker. Oh, yeah. He talked about Indom Kinsu and, oh, and, and Aaron Donald a little bit. But, you know, like if I'm, if I'm DJ Fluker, I'm not exactly shaking in my boots. I just knocked Indom Kinsu on his tail, yes, you did. know, in that game. And they did. They, they took it to the Rams in a way that, you know, it was like, let's fight fire with fire. Those guys are nasty and uh, up front, and they went and, uh, and took it to them and really had a chance to win that game. And that's the thing that f- that's frustrating. The way I'm looking at this game, Paul, is that over the next few weeks, so you've got going to the Rams, you're, you're at home on Thursday night against Green Bay, which is going to be, you know, a tough one, but you're at CenturyLink. Although, I like our chances on that one. Yeah, I like, I like it too. I think Green Bay is a very similar team to the Seahawks right now, but I think the Seahawks are better. And then you're going to Carolina, who is getting whooped pretty good by Pittsburgh tonight. But, you know, I feel like that's, that's, a, that's a, a, a game that maybe you can go and take. But of the next three... Which one is is the one that they're most likely do to win? Do you think? Because I, I, I think Green Bay. I, yeah, I, well, I home. know, but if you get two out of three, in order at the Rams or at Carolina, which one is more likely for this team? The way they match up. I'm putting I, you on the spot. I, I, hear, I see the long pause. Well, I want to go it. with the Rams because of the last time we played them, and I, I think we can yeah. run the football on them and. I think if we win on first down and, and get after them, because if you don't win on first down against the Rams, you're going to lose the game defensively at least. But I think the Pan- I'm watching the Panthers. The Panthers are they're an 8-8 eight eight football team. They've got a better record than that, but I'm looking at them right now offensively and defensively, and I go, they're beatable. You can beat them at home or on, or, or, or on the road, and we're going to have to play them on the road. I, I just think you can get after Cam Newton a little bit. Um, the Rams are such a complete football team. You know, they, they've struggled defensively. But you look at them on paper defensively, and you keep going, yeah, but. They're, they're, good, they're better than what they're playing. Yeah. Offensively, they're, they're a challenge every week. It's kind of interesting with the, with the Rams. Which, you look wait, at, who do you think? Because well, I'm, I'm taking the Panthers. That's well, the win. I, I think they're more likely to beat the Rams. Okay. And I, the, the reason why is because the way that they match up against them. And, look, they, they had a chance to win that game. And it's they lost 33-31. They had a chance with if there weren't a couple of penalties that happened. They jumped off sides. And then there was a holding penalty On that was Fluker, which really is bogus. Yeah, and, and Pete Carroll was talking about it, and it, he's right. It, it's a bad time to call that. That's a point where you swallow your whistle if there's something that is, you know, questionable. But, you know, I, I just feel like they match up better with the Rams. One thing about the Rams, their defense gives up a lot of big plays. They, they have 40, 20-plus yard plays against their defense, and I think the Seahawks can take some shots downfield. And so, you know, for that reason, you know, I think that it's tough. But, you know, you could make a case for Carolina because I think Bobby and KJ, they, they sort of negate 
Cam Newton and what he can do because they're so fast and so athletic. But, I, yeah, totally. But, I, I mean, we, we, I think we match up well. We've matched up well with the Panthers, Panthers since 2012. I mean, that we've had some tough defensive battles with them. And, you know, my, my only concern is, and I'm going to ask you, Dave, is it's given up the 7.8 yards per rush against the Chargers, the inconsistency against the rush. And now we've got Gurley and the Rams, very yeah. difficult. I mean, we've got KJ back. You've got Bobby, who still seems a little nicked. I don't know what's going on there with Bobby Wagner. I mean, can we get back to stopping the run consistently? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And I always, I always look at that one as, I don't want to say it's an easy fix, but if you stay in your gap, you can stop the run. And, you know, it's not like the Seahawks have gotten overpowered defensively from the run. Uh, you know, it's not like they're getting whooped at the line of scrimmage. I feel like it's it's more of an assignment thing. But we'll talk a little bit more about that. And we'll get an opponent preview from Sam Farmer. Sam Farmer, one of my favorite guys in the world. He's been writing for the L.A. Times for a long time. He knows the NFL, and he knows the, the Los Angeles Rams. We're going to talk to, to Sam Farmer next. That's right here live on Hawks Live. Welcome back to Hawks Live. I want to thank Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar because they prepared. Chef Bradley came up and said, you know what we're having tonight? What? what? And I know what they're having. Cause Short ribs. Is that Short favorite? ribs is my absolute favorite. He I knew do. it was my favorite. And join us every Thursday down here so you can enjoy the food here. It's fantastic. And right now we're going to get an opponent preview. Well, I've been touting him as one of my favorite guys, but I don't want to suck up to him too much because he works for the enemy. Sam Farmer from the L.A. Times. Sam, <laughs> thanks for joining us, buddy. Uh, how you doing, Dave? Good to hear you. I'm, do- I'm doing great, man. Hey, uh, talk to us. You know, the, the Rams, the poor Rams. I feel bad for them. They oh, finally yeah. lost a game. Yeah, they're 8-1. Yeah, it must be just awful being 8-1, and one, Sam. But uh, tell us uh, tell us what the uh, the attitude of this team is after the loss in uh, New Orleans. Yeah, they're crestfallen. No, <laughs> I think they're... I think they're fine. You know, they've never lost back-to-back games in the regular season under uh, under Sean McVay, and and uh, I, I think they're going to recover. But you know, last week's game did expose an Achilles heel in this team, and that's the corners. I mean, we saw it in the Seattle game, um, we saw it in the Green Bay game, and then it came to full fruition in the uh, in the New Orleans game, where the corners just got picked apart. Now they've got. Keep to leave. He'll be coming back after the bye, which is in a couple weeks. Uh, but you know he's 32 years old, and you know five-time Pro Bowl guy. Uh, but you can't expect him to completely change the tide in the way things are going. But right now, Marcus Peters is having a bad season, not playing well, and uh, and Troy Hill is is kind of a guy. So it's uh, you know that's an issue uh, playing against. Especially, they've run the gauntlet now. They they had Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. Now they're going to have Russell Wilson, and then Patrick Mahomes in Mexico City. So this is the toughest part of their schedule. And again, um, you know, getting pressure on the passer and and having a shutdown corner is a big deal for them. 
obviously on paper defensively, I mean, they're they're amazing. But and and we know Marcus Peters from up here, and he's had some issues along the way. But what is going on? I mean, there's there it's it's more than he had a bad game against New Orleans. I mean, what's going on with him just mentally? I mean, he he's he's a much better player than than he's playing right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, historically, you know, you look, he's a playmaker, and he was a playmaker in college and and, uh, and with the Chiefs. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on mentally. I know that in the third week against the Chargers, he had a calf injury and then came right back and played the Thursday night game against the uh, Vikings, but he clearly was – was favoring that leg and was not the same player. I don't know if there's a lingering issue. He was very adamant that there wasn't and was sort of testy about it when I asked about it. In fact, I asked him about it. He was kind of testy in the locker room about it. Uh, but, you know, it, it could be that, you know, a guy like that is gambling a little bit uh, too much on, on plays and trying to do too much. Uh, he's also going up against a very good receiver. You know, he takes it takes on the best receiver, and, and uh, Michael Thomas was phenomenal uh, last Sunday, 220-something yards. I mean, he was set a Saints record and and was very, very difficult to defend. So, uh, you know, that's part of it, too. And, and you got Drew Brees on the other end of it. So, you know, they, those guys can make a lot of guys look bad. But with the Rams, that was just very, very costly. They tied it, came back from 18 back to tie it at 35 and really – had the momentum uh, going, and then they give up that 72-yard touchdown. So um, I'm sure that Wade Phillips, uh, you know, has an idea of what he wants to do and how you can cover things up and give some give a guy some help over the top. But it's a challenge. We're getting a, an opponent preview from Sam Farmer from the L.A. Times. Sam, I'm a huge fan of Todd Gurley and about 1,200 yards from scrimmage. 850 on the ground, around 350 receptions, 16 touchdowns already. What kind of team is yeah. this? How, how important is he to that offense? Because to me, I think he's pretty much everything to this offense and, uh, totally and a potential agree. MVP. Yeah, what, what do you think there's, is the record I, without Todd Gurley? You know, I, I think that they, uh, they'd be a middle-of-the-road team without Todd Gurley. Uh, he is a huge, huge factor. Now, Malcolm Brown had a nice touchdown in this last game, but in terms of, uh, and not only uh, as a back who can who can hit it up inside or break it outside, or catch passes out of the backfield, but the guy's great in pass coverage. He's just all around great player. I really think he should be uh, front and center in the MVP conversation because uh, this league is built to sort of accentuate quarterbacks and. Todd Gurley is a guy. I mean, we, we, we know what a great running back is. Just take uh, Zeke Elliott out of Dallas's offense. They went from the most uh, efficient, uh, you know, really the best offense in the league when he was when they were rolling with, uh, with the Cowboys to the worst, like right away. They were terrible. So, you know, I think it would be the same thing with the Rams. I mean, Gurley is a huge, huge factor. And a lot of people are making the comparison, at least statistically, between this Rams team and the greatest show on turf Rams. Um, and 
but that that's a different team. That even though that team had a Hall of Fame running back in Marshall Falk, that team was sort of a, a a team that passed to set up the run. This this team runs and sets up the pass, uh, but it's, it all runs through Gurley. So he's the he is the uh, the centerpiece of that offense. Well, and, and we'll come back to the defensive side, and and you got. I, I think the best defensive player in the league by far, Aaron Donald. For him to have 10 sacks as an interior lineman, it was just crazy. Does Fowler, and, and, and go in any direction with Donald, does Fowler help on this at all for him? I, I don't know what he still has or how he's fitting in with this with the, the Rams, but, God, Aaron Donald, 10 sacks. You know, just give me your thoughts on both yeah. those guys. That's crazy. He, I mean, Aaron Donald is is remarkable, and, and I think you're right. I mean, another guy who potentially could be in the MVP conversation, not just Defensive Player of the Year, which he won last year. Um, and having Indominus Sue there also in the interior, uh, you know, makes them uh, really strong, although they're also vulnerable. I mean, the Saints ran on them. Uh, uh, and then they traded for Dante Fowler, He's, uh, you know, ideally gives them some uh, pressure on the edge, and he had a couple of good plays in this last game. And remember, he came in on a short week, and, and so I figure he'll be more of a factor as the season goes on. But, um, again, they the defense has, has, you know, struggled in this last game. I mean, giving up that many points to the Saints, so – even with a guy like Donald, um, if you're not covering on the back end, uh, doesn't give him much time to get to the quarterback. And you got a quick release quarterback, who, you know, through Breeze, he can take advantage of that. So, uh, yeah, Aaron Donald is tremendous, and uh, there's no question about that. But, but you got to play as a unit and play complementary football in that regard. So. Sam Farmer from the L.A. Times has, has been with us, and uh, really appreciate the, your time, Sam, and uh, we'll see you hopefully My this pleasure. weekend. I, mean, I don't get a prediction right from him? Uh, really quick. we got like 10 seconds prediction, Sam. What do you got? You know, I think the Rams are going to bounce back strong in this game. I, I've always liked the Seahawks, but I, I think the Rams are going to bounce back and, and uh, put this game away in the second half. Well, what do you know, Sam? Come on, get out of here with that <laughs> prediction. You know, we got a bunch of Seahawks fans here. What's the matter with you? <laughs> hey, Sam, I really hey, appreciate your time, buddy. Because I can come up to Seattle. So, you know what? It, exactly. Either way hope, works with, works with hope me. Hope to see you here soon, buddy. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. All right. Take care, Sam. All right, coming up next, we'll talk to uh, somebody that's a little bit more pro Seahawk. That's Paul Moyer, oh. Coach Paul Moyer. We're going to go inside the film room. That's next here. We're going to look at three of the biggest plays from last week. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live, Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer, and we're going to go, as we do every week, into the film room. And, Paul, this is where you thrive, man. You're an old coach. You played next to me and then also uh, coached me a little bit and uh, coached in the league for a long time. And taking a look at uh, sometimes, you know, you look at almost every 
every game. It comes down to three, five plays, and we've got three plays here that are particularly good for the Seahawks. But uh, the very first one, first and goal at the L.A. Charger 10-yard line, and Russell Wilson is able to throw just a rope of a pass. He had a couple of these that went into the end zone, and uh, I think uh, Russell cranked up and threw his fastball here. Russell under center, play fake, looking to throw. Still looking, still looking. Has all day. Now fires to the back of the end zone. Reaching up, making the catch. Touchdown, Seahawks. Jerron Brown in the back of the end zone. Russell had all day, and Brown followed his quarterback's eyes to the back line of the end zone, reaches up on the high throw, and makes the touchdown reception. A 10-yarder, and the Seahawks take the early lead, 6-0. As Rabel said there, there was a, a great time as amount of time like five seconds well they brought they they left seven in and of course russell being number eight and they ran a three-man route and one of them was jerron brown he was just running across the back of the end zone and uh russell threw uh i think you know we're going to listen to one later on but this is one of these where he really thread the needle there yeah it, it was uh it was an interesting play and i think that what I want to get out of this play, it, the amount of time we had. And then we ran a play action. We kept seven guys in, as you said. He had five seconds to throw the ball. Matter of fact, I think on the fifth second, he threw it. Then he had motioned Brown across to our right. And, and he, they had snapped it right when he got past the tight end. So he, was, he wasn't out wide or anything. And he ran kind of a corner out. And then he bent it back. And he said he started working his way on the backside of the end zone. I don't know who he was throwing it to. I don't know if he was throwing it to... Um, Moore or or Brown. I, I, it could have been either one. It was a hide pass, but I know Brown came w- up, up with it at the end. But I, the part you said, Dave, it was a fast, fast ball. It was a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. 104-mile-an-hour fastball. <laughs> it was smoking. And for him to catch it, there were four charger defenders, and we had two wide receivers, and he threaded it in there. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, you saw... Um, one of them put their hand up from one side, and then from the other side, it was like a, you know, like a closing door there that went through. And a great job by Jerron Brown. Just, you know, the, remember you used to do that distraction drill when you were a receiver in high school, where somebody waves the hands in front of you, and then you catch the ball, and it's really difficult to do. And so, really good job by Russell there. And you know, he just looked nice and calm in the pocket, but. Like you said, they, they left seven guys in, and uh, they were able to get to a great blocking there. I love that. I think they need to do more of that because you give Russell time, someone will get open, he'll find them. And that's one of the things that, that kind of rattles Russell a little bit when he starts to get spooked a little bit when they get pressure, especially up the interior. And so, yeah, I think it's worth it. But Frank Clark uh, finally gets to Phillip Rivers in our next play. It was second and 12 at the L.A. Chargers, 40. And, you know, it was one of those plays where – Frank, it's pretty rare, but he got singled. Only one blocker to beat, and he got home. Rivers play fake, stops, steps up, going to go down. Frank Clark coming off the left side of the Seahawks defense like a shot. Gets to Phillip Rivers, and one thing we know, Rivers is not very mobile. If you get him in your sights, you can bring him down. That is the first sack of the day for the Hawks. 
Yeah, Rabel's right there. Philip Rivers not going anywhere. It's not like he's no. going to scramble or anything like Ooh. that. But on that play, Frank didn't have some fancy pass move or anything like that, you know, pass rush move. And he's got some good ones. But on that one, he happened to get singled. And uh, Frank is, you know, the, I think the most valuable part of him, Paul, is that there's no target on his body. And if you're an offensive lineman, you're trying to find a place to block him where you can get right down the middle of him. But he's just always in motion, and he's so quick, whether he's spinning or ripping or you know clubbing or whatever pass move he has, it seems like there's a very small target on his body. Well, it was, it was a second and 12 play, and, and I think the Seahawks did something that, that helped him a little bit, and that, that they brought their defensive tackle almost head up on the center, maybe just shaded just outside and so it forced the guard to come down on our defensive tackle, which put a, a legit one-on-one situation uh, with Frank Clark versus their right tackle. I'm watching his stance. He's got his left foot forward. Now, m- most of the time when you come from the left side, you've got your right foot right forward. Foot, now, yeah. he, now he's up in a two-point two, uh, two stance, which he's gotten more and more comfortable with because he likes to get in their chest quick and work their hands down. And that's what he did there. When he comes from the three-point stance, he's coming off the ball a couple steps, so he doesn't get his hands on the, the tackles early enough. Most of his sacks have come from a two-point stance. But I'm watching him. I'm going, why is his left foot forward? So his inside foot is back instead of up front. It completely unorthodox, I guess that's the word. Yeah. He, he goes two steps up. He gets in the guy's chest immediately, slams his hands down. He's around the corner, easy sack, ends up being third and 15 after that. And Frank has become that guy that if you don't double him or slide to him, more than likely he's going to get a sack. Well, and that, that's got to be a comfort thing for him, right? Yeah. Putting that foot up, and uh, that's just how he does it. So very, very special player there. And Frank becoming a leader, him and Jaron Reed, Talked to Brennan Jackson last week, and uh, they're having these get-togethers with the defensive line. I feel like in the last two or three weeks, the D-line's starting to come alive. 21 sacks at the halfway point. That's pretty good. Which gets them to 42, of course. And, you know, over the last, well, since 2012, when Russell and Bobby uh, arrived here, you know, I always look at it that way. Since 2012, when they had, the, <laughs> like, the best draft in the history of the NFL, They've averaged about 39 sacks, and so they're on pace for, and I know that was there was a lot of hand-wringing going on uh, in, the, in the preseason and before the season started where the sacks are going to come from, but they're doing pretty well. Well, we're, we're ranked 10th sacks per play, and, and that's all you can look at. I mean, it's hard to go, what are you ranked sacks? Because you may not have enough opportunities, and, 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 but in this case, you look, you're top 10 in sacks for this team coming into it. I would take that. Next play, fourth and goal, and this is part of the furious comeback by Russell Wilson and the offense, and uh, we talked earlier about a fastball, but holy smokes, Nick Vanette caught one from Russell Wilson. I'm surprised it didn't knock him down. Russell takes the snap, looks, fires in the end zone. It's caught for a touchdown! Seahawks by Nick Vanette. That ball was rifled, and Vanette got his hands on it and hung on from six yards out. And there's still a pulse in the Seahawks. <laughs> Russell really does have, have that fast ball. I don't know if it goes 104. It was but, this was 105. Yeah. And the only reason why is because he was knocked him six over. yards back. And it was, I don't know how he caught it. I really don't. I mean, he, he threaded that between two guys. He had to throw it as hard as he could. Talking about Russell Wilson. Now, the guy, here's what was interesting about the play. They, they, our guest who's coming up here in about uh, 20 minutes, Mike Davis, motions out wide so they go empty backfield he runs an out route 
There is nobody guarding him. Paul, I was up in the booth with Rabel pointing to Mike Were you Davis. going, throw oh, it to him? Oh, throw it to you. Yeah. But don't Russell you wish, couldn't hear me. You know what? You need to get a microphone and, I and don't think speaker. Russell wants to hear yes, he what does. I say. Yes, he does. <laughs> but he made the right decision, obviously. Well, right? in this case, he, his fastball worked. But he could have thrown a curveball or a, a changeup or a fastball or just lobbed it to Mike Davis for an easy touchdown. But, no, it was awesome. And, you know, Nick Vanette, his hands have gotten better and better and he's become that number one tight end. And it was a clutch situation. Part of the comeback, unfortunately, they, they fell short in the end. But, all right, that's it for the film room. Coming up next, we're going to talk to John Clayton, the professor. We got you covered with all things Seahawks and Seahawks in the NFL. And next, John Clayton will join us. That's here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. We're here live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. And Mike Davis coming up here at 8 o'clock. Show starts every Thursday at 7 o'clock. Not next Thursday because we've got a Thursday no, night football game. game. But I want to thank Heritage Distillings Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts. And now we got on the line the professor, John Clayton. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just stunned at tonight's game. Are you? How about did, did, how about, no, points no, on yeah. the Carolina defense? Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's that's, amazing. That's pretty shocking. Yeah, and that's your your hometown guys there, the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger putting up some big numbers, and now all of a sudden they're sort of emerging in the AFC. Who? Do, how do you rank? Let, let's let's start with the AFC. We'll we'll talk about the NFC later, but right now AFC. How do you rank the teams there? Well, because New England beat Kansas City, I still put even though they don't have the best record, New England number one, Kansas City number two, and then then you start to sort it out. I mean Pittsburgh is going to be number four, and then uh, you know you, you got maybe Bengals as a wild card. But I think what you can you, you can look at is that uh, it's pretty wide open. I mean, after you get past the first two teams, it's wide open. And it's like when you when you see that the Pittsburgh Steelers can score 52 points at home against Carolina, that puts them at a higher level. Yeah, no no question, man. Look at this; it, it, it's unbelievable. And you're right, Carolina, really good defense. How about a matchup for the Seahawks? So if they have to win on the road the next three games it's either the rams or carolina which uh, which team do you think they match up better well i think they match much better against carolina because even though he's up to 67 percent of the uh, completions coming into the game with cam newton and normally he's like a 58 59 percent quarterback uh you can see that you know now he goes against a good and then that's the thing that's i think so unusual right now I went through the whole league and looked how they're doing against winning teams. And it's like, you know, here is the Chargers. They were criticized for having a 5-2 and two record but not beating winning teams. They come up here and they beat the Seahawks. Okay, well, mo- there's only about five teams that have winning records against winning teams. And so it's not like there's a big, vast difference in the way things are going. There's a hierarchy, and it's like if you can beat a good team. And so I think right now Carolina looks vulnerable. Because even though it's going to be on the road, I mean, you got Cam Newton, who normally is a 58 to 59 percent completion guy. I mean, you can see that he's having a tough night tonight. I mean, they're more of a team that's not going to pound the ball because they've got Christian McCaffrey at the uh, running back position, and they got a bunch of young wide receivers. So now all of a sudden, they look more vulnerable and more like the team that you can beat on the road. You look at the Rams, three receivers set, they're solid. 
They score 30 points a game. I mean, they're really tough to beat. But I think now, if they can get the Carolina win, hey, if they can get the Rams win, great. All they have to do in this five-game stretch against good quarterbacks, and right now they're one and one, is go three and two. If they're three and two, they're in the playoffs. So what are we more like? I'll just lose, use the last four games. You know, we beat Detroit and Oakland. We look fantastic. We lose barely to the Rams. Last week, disappointment. Of those four, where are we? In, in I tell you, they're, they're like where the Chargers were coming into the Seattle game. You know, they're 5-2, and two, and they hadn't beaten a winning team. So now they're on the road. They beat the Seahawks on the road at 4-3. and three, And it's like, okay, so now they beat a winning team. And so I think that's where the Seahawks are right now. They have to prove that they can beat a winning team, whether it's on the road or just beat a winning team. Because you only have 13 teams with winning records in this league. And with that in mind, it's like, okay, so if you beat the winning teams, you're fine. If you win the winnable games, then you're great. And that's, the Seattle does good at winning the winnable games, and like a lot of teams do. But now if you can pick up a win against a team that can you know, win and be in the playoffs, then you're in golden shape. And I think right now, you know, if they can pick up a win against the Rams, the Panthers, particularly on the road, then they're in great shape. Because the one thing they have at the end of the season is three games against losing teams like Arizona, two against San Francisco. Those three games are golden because then you get to nine or ten. Three players that are questionable coming into this weekend, John. You got uh, Chris Carson. DJ Fluker and Bradley McDougall. Which one, in your view, is the most important of those McDougall three? in this particular game because, you know, he's the most experienced of the safety positions. He's the one in the secondary that they need to rely on for leadership. And if he's not there, hey, I'm not saying Delano Hill can't do well, but he's not what Bradley McDougall can offer because Bradley McDougall has played at a Pro Bowl level. I mean, he's made plays. He's enforced things. He's got physical presence and all that stuff. Remember, you know, he's like, he was knocking out Brandon Cooks, and he's the one that's, you know, they, they had two games where they knocked out four wide receivers. He's done everything possible. So he's number one. Chris Carson's number, well, I guess maybe it's a debate between Chris Carson and DJ Fluker. I mean, Fluker probably would be number two because he gives that physical presence on the offensive line. They need him in there, and he's probably going to be in there. And it looks like it's a little questionable on Car- on Chris Carson because it's two days missed with the hip injury. But he's so important because there's a little bit of a drop down when you go from Carson to Mike Davis, then to Rashad Penny. Last week, they, they didn't activate Posick, so Hunt came in for DJ Fluker. Let's say Fluker can't play. Who do you play at right guard? Do you play Hunt or do you play Posick? No, I, I, I guess the debate's going to be, do you make the switch and put Sweezy at right guard and then uh, or left guard and then put uh, Posick at left guard? I think that's where the debate's going to be. Because, again, the, the one thing I think it showed in week three when they were down you know, both Britt and also Fluker, that they have depth at the at the offensive line position. And um, Posey is a good player, but of course, you know, then you want Hunt because he's more the center in case anything happens to Britt. So I have to think that, uh, you know, if anything happens, Posey can still do a good job. Right now, the personality of this team is DJ Fluger and J.R. Sweezy. So the debate's going to be, do you put uh, Posey at left guard and then have Sweezy at right guard? But I still think that Fluger's going to be able to play. All right, John, midseason MVPs. Um, I, I got to go with, well, I mean, on the NFC side anyway, Todd Gurley. I think he's really important. I was trying to talk Danny into today that he is definitely worth the $15 million. And, 
you know, Todd Gurley, uh, the Rams without Todd Gurley, I, I'm not sure how many, you know, what it costs him. Maybe it's a couple three. Paul, I think, disagrees with me, but I think Todd Gurley is the MVP in the NFC. I, I cannot agree. I, I, he's number five in my eyes because, number one, how can you pass up Patrick Mahomes on a pace? Well, I'm to talking go- about... I said NFC. Oh, in the NFC? Oh, you oh okay. It. okay. If you're throwing the NFC, Drew Brees tops yeah. anything Gurley's done. He won the game against the Rams. I mean, sitting there with great numbers and a better, uh, not a better record because the Rams have a half game because they've not played the bye week yet. But, no, I, I think you have to go with Drew Brees. But if you're talking NFC, yeah, number two, I think, would have to be Todd Gurley. I mean, he was the MVP last year. I mean, everything revolves around what he does at the running back position and what they can do to adjust. But I, I think he's number two right now. Well, Jeffrey Chidea is in town, and he's writing a story, I think, on Bobby Wagner, and yeah. he was talking about Patrick Mahomes and just just ridiculous numbers and how good he is. And I know John Schneider was out looking at him. Even though they have Russell Wilson, they were like, wow, this guy is unbelievable over on the AFC side. He's a millennial Brett Favre. Because he's got the arm strength of Brett Favre. He's got the mobility that Favre never have. And, of course, he's so smart in picking up the way the offense is. I mean, 5,157 yards he's projected right now for the quarterback throwing. And then 52 touchdown passes. I've never seen anything like that for a quarterback entering the season with only one start. Hey, real quick. I know we got about 30 seconds. Did the Seahawks offer Bruce Irvin? Was there any shot at that? Uh, there was a shot. I think he was a number two choice because I think it was a matter of convenience. I mean, he's making $8 million from the Raiders. He gets a million five from the Falcons. Okay, that's fine. But I think that he wanted to go back to Atlanta, whether to come back to the Seahawks. I think they finished second, but you can understand the decision. It was a decision of convenience, and he wanted to go back to Atlanta. Nine and a half million dollars. He's living at home. Pretty okay. good gig. I'm a, I good do, gig yeah. for him. John, yeah, good for him. thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, John. All right, there goes John Clayton coming up next, the star of the show, Mike Davis. He's coming up next here on Hawks Live.